Welcome to Generation Travel Radio, where we share the stories of people from a diverse range of generations and backgrounds whose lives have been enriched academically, professionally, and personally by international experiences. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Generation Travel Radio. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kelly Davis, and I'm here with my other co-host, Erin Morris, and we are really pleased to invite Yosefa Gilone onto our podcast today. So just for some context, Yosefa has worked at Stanford University for the last five years, where she manages programs overseas. She has a Master's of Arts in International Education from SIT Graduate Institute and over 12 years of experience in the field of international education. She spent time working in several countries, including India, Japan, Argentina, Ecuador, Thailand, and Germany. Outside of what she does for international education, she also has a passion for cooking and writing and holds a certificate in print journalism from the University of Los Angeles, California. She now maintains her own blog, Vice Wanderer, where she writes about different spices she began collecting and incorporating into her cooking during her travels. So Yosefa, thank you so much for joining us today. We're super happy to have you. First and foremost, we'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us the basics about you. Where are you from? Who is Yosefa on a day-to-day basis? And how did you get to where you are today? Great. Well, thank you for having me. Happy to speak with you all today. So who, who am I? Where am I from? I am actually from a very small town in California. It's called Escalon, California. It's a small farm town uh, in the Central Valley. So when I was living there as a kid, there were like 5,000 people in the town. So pretty small. We got our first stoplight when I was in high school. Gives you a sense of, (laughs) of, of the town. And growing up, I didn't really travel much. My family didn't really have the funds to be able to afford like big, you know, summer vacation travels or anything. But like thinking back on kind of where I am now and where I came from, I realized that although I didn't travel as a kid, I was still really introduced to many cultures just at home. My father is Israeli. Um, My mom is American, but I have family in Australia and in Israel. And my mom uh, in her 20s lived in a bunch of different places, including Jordan and Israel. So she, the, the food she cooked was Middle Eastern food. So I grew, grew up really eating Middle Eastern food and maybe some other cuisines, but primarily Middle Eastern. Um, my favorite like food as a child, I'm talking about food now because it'll <laughs> tie in later, but my favorite food was falafel as a kid. And in terms of like cultural exposure, my parents took us to like Greek festivals and to powwows and to different cultural celebrations. So although I didn't travel, I was introduced to a lot, which I appreciated. I appreciated more as well as as I got older. And in terms of kind of what I do or my hobbies, I guess, and then I'll kind of talk more about how I got to where I am, but I love spending time outdoors. And then travel is my other passion, which um, is currently put on hold, but I found other ways to to, do that hobby. Like there's still ways to do that, I guess, but not really travel. And I went to UC Irvine in Southern California for undergrad, and I studied psychology. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had taken a class in high school, a psychology class, and enjoyed it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try, try psychology. But I knew I didn't want to be a psychologist. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I have a twin sister, and we graduated from different universities, but at the same time. And she's just one of those people that from childhood, she knew she wanted to be a teacher. She knew what she wanted to do. 
Um, and she found this program to get a teaching certificate in Greece. So to a TEFL certificate to teach English. And she's like, I found this, I'm gonna go to Greece. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm gonna come with you because I don't know what I wanna do. <laughs> um, I was like, maybe, I was like, maybe I wanna teach, you know, maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'll be a teacher. I'm one of those people where it's kind of like, I need to try things out to see if I like it. Instead of just like full force, like this is what I'm gonna be and I'm not gonna change. So I was like, yeah, I'll go try. So moved to Greece right after college. And that was really my first experience abroad. Like I, I didn't actually study abroad in college, ironically, <laughs> but I did go on like a short 10 day trip to Israel, but I don't count that as really studying abroad, but it was an abroad experience, so there's that. But anyway, so I went to Greece and tried teaching and realized it wasn't for me. It was quite a challenge. Um, the course was a month and then they just placed us in a school all over the country. So I ended up uh, on an island um, in a little fishing village, which every time I tell this story, everyone's like, oh, it sounds amazing. And it was to some extent, um, but it gets, you know, cold in Greece. I kind of went with many different expectations than what ended up being reality. And I was just really lonely, didn't really have any friends. And, you know, all I did was teach and it was only like 17 hours a week. So I had so much time and trying to figure out what to do was tough. And then after like five months and lots of writing, because I was really bored and there was no internet where I was in my apartment. So I did a lot of writing. Eventually I moved on to Israel where I did an ulpan on a kibbutz. So I worked on like a, in a socialist community and learned Hebrew and worked in the kitchen. And that was the best time of my life. And while I was there, I was like, okay, I need to somehow turn this experience into a career. <laughs> and so all I really knew was writing. And so I left Israel after six months thinking I wanted to be a travel writer. And to, I was thinking, okay, I had this amazing experience living on the kibbutz. There are people from many different countries, everyone's living together. It was fantastic. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write about my experience and inspire people to go abroad or to travel and have their own, you know, cultural experience. So I came back and that's how I ended up at UCLA for the journalism program. At the time, I didn't know there was a career in study abroad or there was, but I didn't think of it that way. So I was like writing. <laughs> and so then I moved to New York. I have been many places and this is all like part of my journey it all connects somehow in the end but I ended up in New York working for a travel publishing company again still trying to do the travel writing but I just realized it was it was a tough industry similar to like the entertainment industry it's like all about who you know and editors and everything so I was looking for other opportunities and thought of Peace Corps and then I found SIT Graduate Institute and their international education master's program which I was like why have I not thought about this before um, I can actually you know make a career as a, someone who you know coordinates and facilitates abroad programs or experiences for students here in the U.S. rather than just writing about my own. So I was very excited and did that. Uh, and then I ended up in, back in California, since I'm originally from here, working at a language school, which had, I think at any time, there were like students from 60 different countries. So I was the housing director, so I managed homestays and um, residential experience. And I just love talking to the students from the different countries. And, you know, after being in different places, I started to get a little like itchy, like I wanted to go to these places that the students are from. And again, I have to credit my twin sister. She became a teacher and worked at international schools and in the Germany and the US. 
and she was on Facebook and she saw an ad for a traveling high school. Uh, it's called Think Global School. And she was like, oh my gosh, you have to look into this school. It sounds amazing. And so I did and they were hiring and three weeks or a month later, I was off to Ecuador. So I worked for this traveling high school that at the time they've changed their model a little bit, but they spent every term in a different country. And so the, all the students and the teachers meet in each location for the term. And so when I was there at first, I was director of residential life and then director of logistics. But basically I was living with the students in the beginning and then eventually um, lived separately. But each place I was organizing all the experiential education activities for students, also making sure that like all the students and staff were fed so that we had food wherever we were. And there were up to 65, 65 people in the group. Um, so it was a pretty interesting task, but it was an amazing experience. And so I was there for three years and lived in boarding schools and hotels and lived in Japan and India. Ecuador, Thailand, many different places. And then after three years, I was like, okay, I need to stay in one place for a while and maybe give other people an opportunity to be with students on the ground. I kind of felt like I was a little saturated by the different experiences I'd had. So, so I returned to California and ended up at Stanford University working in the study abroad office. I felt like that was a good transition. Although I loved working with high school students and wished that I, you know, at the time, there weren't any positions at you know, high schools that had international programs. Ended up basically facilitating short-term summer opportunities for Stanford students and working with faculty. It was fascinating. Stanford faculty are fascinating and they're really interested in very specific topics. And so it was really fun to coordinate those programs. And um, I was there for five years and now I switched over to the computer science department, which I think was slightly surprising to me in the beginning when I, even when I saw the job posted. But I guess it was inevitable maybe being in the Silicon Valley to end up in, in computer science and technology. But, but really, I'm still, um, as the program manager for the CS Bridge program, um, facilitating programs abroad that teach high school students in local countries computer science. And basically, we take Stanford undergrads and Stanford lecturers, and we partner with host universities and host lecturers and host university students to like co-teach high school students from the local country. So it's really a neat opportunity and I'm really enjoying it and enjoying the program development. It's like there was a bridge from between what you did previously and then what you were doing at Stanford and now what you're doing at Stanford. I see a little bit of a through line there. Yeah, um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and I, I do want to warn our, our listeners, I should have done this at the beginning, but as you were talking, Yosefa, I was thinking, oh, we're going to be talking about food a lot probably in this episode. So, you know, make sure you're not doing something where it would be bad if you were getting hungry. <laughs> and I also, I meant to touch on at the end of those little biography I gave of you that we met through BayPi, which is Bay Area Young Professionals in International Education. Yeah, I'm on the board of it. So um, I've been involved with it for a few years. So that's a cool organization. If there's anyone listening who doesn't yet know about it, which would surprise me. It's very I feel like you've got you've done a really good job marketing it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting now too because although it says Bay Area in the title and also young professional, we've had people with the virtual events come, you know, join from all over the world. And also, young is however you want to interpret young. So people of all ages are welcome to come to the events. 
Right. I think it's an example of how people that are in international ed or or just in love with travel and experiencing cultures not only would want to listen to a podcast like this, but they want to get you know, in contact with those other people, if it's virtually or in person and share those stories and those experiences and the lessons they've learned. And it's always nice to have people that can uh, associate with those sorts of things with you. I'm sure you've experienced that, you know, since you have such a broad, you know, depth of experience between high school students and, you know, the English teaching, you really encompass a lot of the different (laughs) aspects of international ed that I know of, at least. And kind of leading into our next question, we always like to ask all of our guests is what in your life, maybe in travel included or those intercultural experiences has, you know, taught you important lessons and therefore what does your personal mission look like if you have one? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Thinking about personal mission and what is, what do I like feel strongly like for and passionate about? It's a great question. I think that, you know, I really feel strongly about me personally helping to facilitate cultural exchange and, you know, introduce people to other cultures through my different experiences and, you know, both traveling and working. One thing that is really clear to me is that, you know, culture influences everything. So, you know, whether people are going to another country to learn about volcanic concrete and ash in Italy, which was one of the programs that worked on at Stanford, or, you know, if they're going to Turkey and helping to teach computer science together with local teachers, those are educational things that aren't necessarily like I'm going to learn about the culture. And yet, you know, people still learn a lot about the culture and any interaction and the culture influences, you know, like Roman concrete and and all that. (laughs) Or like if, you know, people are learning about the history of of a spice and then eating, you know, chicken biryani. So if it's like the history of turmeric and eating chicken biryani um, at home, you know, they're learning about the local people and the culture in that process. So I feel like there are many different ways to facilitate that cultural exchange. And that's something that I've been exploring more of. And I truly believe that the more friendships that I can facilitate or just in general that people have and the connections that people make in other countries, you know, the closer we all come to living in a peaceful world. And something else in general that I'm just passionate about is, uh, you know, education and expanding access to education, especially at a young age. I mentioned earlier, I'm from, you know, a small farm town. We didn't have, it was kind of like an under-resourced high school. There weren't that many opportunities, but I, you know, ended up at a four-year university and, you know, had all these other experiences, you know, later on. But having worked with high school students who were having the opposite experience of what I did in high school, you know, where they were going to different countries and learning the history of the country, science in that area, books written by authors in that area. Having experiences like that can really influence, you know, what those students go on to do in life. And so getting those opportunities is so impactful. And also even just for students, it doesn't have to be international, but like finding a subject matter that really excites you and you know lights your fire when you're in high school or something can really influence what you do so even now working with like computer science seeing students get so excited about like creating a game is really cool because maybe they'll go on to study that and it's just like they never would have known if they hadn't been introduced to, to that topic so so yeah I, I guess my personal mission is like you know cultural exchange is 
providing opportunities for people and then just access to education I and mean, working with youth. I really do enjoy working with youth. So kind of Kelly, what you were saying about that bridge, it is really cool to now still be at Stanford, but also to be working with the program that, that also helps, you know, works with high school students and college students. So. And something else that you, that I want to touch on is talking about what students are passionate about. Hopefully that's what they're majoring in, right? And that's something that I definitely try to advise students. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like if I had had those, um, you know, opportunities in college, actually, I went to the study abroad office in college and it was like, I'm interested in studying abroad. And for a very sad reason, or like, you know, actually I like met with someone and I left the office thinking, I can't study abroad, which is like, what? (laughs) They failed at their job. (laughs) And it's really unfortunate. But I think that was kind of like impetus later. I was like, you know what? Students, you know, shouldn't, they shouldn't walk out of the study abroad office seeing that. But I thought for the two like traditional misconceptions are that, you know, it costs too much that I wouldn't be able to afford to study abroad. When I went to a UC, they have UC EAP. I could have probably paid the same cost I was paying. And then that I wouldn't finish on time. But I finished my all my psychology in three years and I had one year that I just ended up taking like I minored in sociology. So yeah, but I got all my experiences later and all the life, everything kind of led me to where I am. But I feel like I kind of did get a late start, but but I'm happy to be where I am now and I've had lots of experiences. So I don't regret anything, <laughs> but I just like, you know, love the possibility of students learning earlier on what it excites them. We all go at our own, at our own pace, right? So mm-hmm you know, yeah. eventually things will come yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. so thinking about what you're passionate about and how sometimes those, those experiences allow us to really explore what we, what we enjoy. Have you always written while you were traveling, whether it was a blog or a journal? Would love to hear more about that time in the remote Greek fishing village. (laughs) What were you writing about? I think journaling is also really important when you have an intercultural experience. That reflection is key. So tell us a little bit more. True. Yeah. Um, So as a kid, I used to like write stories and stuff. So I I liked writing even as a kid. Yeah. When I went to Greece, I found myself with a lot of time and a lot of just observation and just the day-to-day life was quite challenging and it really stretched me. And there was a lot I had to like um, reflect on and I didn't speak Greek, but um, I kind of, there people kind of assumed I was Greek, I think, based on my, how I look. And so people all the time would just come up to me and speak Greek. And I'm like, I don't know. And it was really frustrating. And I just had no one really to talk to because I hadn't any, made any friends. So I did a lot of writing and a lot of um, emailing back home to friends and family. And as I said before, I had so much time and had no Wi-Fi where I was. So I would like write out my emails. And then when I got to work, um, where there was a computer, I would then type out my emails. So, and there were so many yeah times there when I would, I just spent so much time writing. Cause I was like, I have so much time. <laughs> and now I would never think to write something on paper and then to type it up. But anyways, so I used to write these long stories, I guess they were just my experiences home. And my mom like still has them. She like printed all the stories up and she's like, this is going to be a book one day. I'm like, I don't know about that, but maybe. So I just realized that I kind of enjoyed doing that, but I kind of felt like I was writing for myself, but also enjoyed sharing it with people. And then when I went to Israel, I continued writing. And that's why like, it was about a year that I was away. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a writer. 
And my dream at the time, because I wanted to be a travel writer, right? My dream was to like get paid to travel the world. And then however many years down the road, I got paid to travel the world um, with the traveling high school. But ironically, I did not have time to write as much, I guess, as I would have liked to because it was like 24-7, you know, how if anyone has worked on an on-site program, it's just constant. I would still write about some of my experiences and also like send emails back, but not as much. And then basically when I'm living somewhere, I have a lot more to write about. When I travel, so I've traveled to many places as well, I do some writing, but not much. Yeah, most of my writing is is when I'm living somewhere because I feel like I get to know the area better. That's interesting. I'm a bit of the opposite. When I am stagnant, I do not write very much. But when I travel, I actually make the time to write and and because for me I guess it's just part of the experience like I always want to go to a cafe or something like that most of my experiences in Europe where that's very much part of the culture and so I make that a point wherever I go but at something else I think it's that's interesting is you are using writing as a way of really coping through an abrupt change to a culture shock essentially yeah, yeah. And I heard we are actually going through adapting to culture shock through COVID-19. And this person was saying that if you have been through the experience of trying to go through that, then you actually might be better at adapting to COVID-19 because at least part of that, to some extent, know how to handle it. And it's just making me think, wow, "Wow, we should all be journaling and writing every day (laughs) so 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 that we can do this. That's an interesting tie to COVID. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't really thought of that. Although I have been writing. (laughs) Yeah, the start of being isolated and getting yourself through culture shock and stuff like that and writing in that way obviously started something in you that made you want to go back and go to UCLA for that writing certificate, like you said. But then was that where the idea for your blog Spice Wanderer came from? Or could you tell us a little bit of the backstory to that and then maybe what the content looks like today, especially in this era where we aren't going anywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. So no, um, it took me a while to come up with, or not come up with it, but I've been like, like everything else in my life, like it all connects. <laughs> so eventually I just made my way to, okay, now I'm going to start a spice blog. But basically, you know, I love cooking and sharing food with other people. And For many years, I've been collecting spices during my travels. So like in Israel, I'll go to like the souk and buy, you know, cumin and different spices with the plan to cook when I get home. So I've found spices to be the most incredible souvenir because they have the power to transport me back to an amazing culinary experience I've had somewhere, whether it's, you know, tasting food or just the smell of a spice market, which I love. And I've lived in eight different countries and have traveled to many more. So I have a lot of spices. (laughs) It's almost embarrassing when you open my spice cabinet, um, school it is, or just the cabinet. And it's like one whole shelf with like stacked things of spice. But in addition to all the spices I have, I have a lot of stories from all my time in the different places. So for a while, I was trying to think of like, how can I incorporate this collection of spices and my, also my love for cooking food for people and, you know, my travel experiences, my like passion for education and writing. So finally decided about 
I've been thinking about it for about a year. So about a year ago, I was like, okay, what about a spice blog? So I've just been asking people if they're like, would be interested in reading a spice blog and just kind of just kind of putting it out there. Also, I like looked online and I couldn't really find anything like what I was thinking for a spice blog. So I decided in March when the shelter in place order kind of came here in the Bay Area and I was cooking, you know, the restaurants were closed for the most part and cooking more and trying to also like organize things. I was like, you know what? I think now is a good time to launch the spice blog, especially since March. We had no idea when we would be able to travel again. We still don't here in the U.S. Like, it's, I don't know when we'll be able to, like, freely travel. And so I thought, you know what, this could be a great way for me to, like, reminisce on my travels, but really to, to give other people an opportunity to actually think about experiencing another place without having to leave your home. And so that's, that's kind of how it, how it came about. And basically, like, it's, it's hard to categorize. I say it's a spice blog. It is definitely a spice blog. Um, but it's also, you know, a travel blog. And so I'm still kind of working, I think, on the format. But the way that it, it is, seems to be working at the moment is that I choose a spice. So I started kind of with, like, I, I like fundamental spices or something that are in a lot of recipes. So like cinnamon and cumin. So each blog post is about one spice. And so I write about the history of the spice. And a lot of this I'm learning as I'm doing research. So that has been interesting. <laughs> I realized that it was educational after doing the first post. I think I went into it not really thinking it was also an educational <laughs> blog, but it ended up being that. So I write about the history of the spice and then my, like me, a story or two or something of my own experience in that country or directly with that spice. The last one I wrote about was cinnamon. And although it was first discovered and cultivated in Sri Lanka, I've been to Sri Lanka, but my ex I didn't have much to say. I was there for like a swim meet for like three days. So, <laughs> so um, I've been to Morocco and a lot of Moroccan cuisine has, you know, cinnamon in it. And so I wrote about my experiences in Morocco. And also, um, you know, growing up, we had like a Moroccan friend. So I actually got introduced to Morocco and Moroccan food before I left the US even. But yeah, so I kind of put in those and then I end it with some recipes. So really encouraging, inspiring people to go out and, and try to make any any food that incorporates cinnamon and cinnamon I think most people probably think of it just like a household spice but really there's a rich history there that and culture around that and so so yeah that's that's a spice blog and I I also have you know regular spices but also spice mixtures so I'm kind of kind of like go in between like sprinkle some mixtures in there and then go back to single spices but I have lots of spices and you know a lot of these spices people can get like I was saying you know cinnamon a lot of the spices are available in the grocery store or or like in an international market so yeah, I'm hoping that it does inspire people to cook and to think of it as a way to to experience another culture without really having to get on an airplane <laughs> yeah I was thinking um, going okay what can Yosefa make that I can go try not that that works right now but <laughs> it seems <Yeah>. more feasible <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love cinnamon. So, oh man, I used to use it a lot in random things that you would never expect cinnamon to be in. So yeah, well, that's what Moroccan food, a lot of Moroccan food, like even the savory food has, has cinnamon in it. So I think that's what's cool about cinnamon. Because yeah. people, I think, think it's like a sweet, like it's for apple pie or something, but it doesn't have to just be for sweet. 
Yeah, I like how it's an opportunity to expand U.S. uh, readers' horizons on what those can be, you know, even if they're not interested in traveling anywhere, like maybe they're interested in expanding their palette or their understanding, or at least I hope people are. Yeah. So I always like want to push the boundaries a little bit. I like how you can tell a story first before even giving those recipes. So maybe it can encourage people to understand like, oh, wow, she really enjoyed this meal and it added to her experience. So maybe I can try that at home and expand my horizons that way. So I I really appreciate that. And I like that you started this blog during COVID because I think what I've at least been hearing is that in the last recession and everything, a lot of innovative things started, you know, a lot of startups that are now really well known and I've been hearing, obviously, us starting this podcast now, your blog, and other people who have, you know, started passion projects, startups, entrepreneurs, actually getting their projects going in this time. I'm hopeful that we're going to see, you know, 10 years down the line, some really successful, you know, blogs or whatever it may be, and how they can also be innovative once we can get back to that normal life or the ability to travel and see what type of content can come from that as well. So I'm excited. I'm definitely going to read some of these blog posts. It sounds like something right up my alley. So I'm excited to learn about this. Thanks. But as you were talking, I was thinking that another, you know, you're talking about like innovative ideas and things. And, you know, for me, for the blog, um, at the end, I don't write my own recipes. I like link to other people's things. But I think it would be really cool to collaborate with chefs in, you know, the different places, either here or, you know, in like, if I'm writing about Morocco, like a Moroccan chef in Morocco, but to give them um, a place where they, you know, then I can like link to their recipe to give them more exposure. Or like, I'll, I put photos, some of them are mine. I'm not a photographer. My photos are not that great. Um, or I just get them from, you know, the, the free photo sites, but it would be really cool to collaborate with like a food photographer and things like that. So I I feel like there are ways if I wanted to expand this or just like connect with people over like a shared love for food or something. um, That's exciting to me. So, so we'll see. Yeah. And then I think it's cool that you can also like prove in your writing and you were talking about journaling, Kelly, there's a lot of options for people to process their experiences, even through COVID, even here through different platforms. And I know we've talked about this with previous guests, but I was always one that struggled to like understand journaling or just didn't have think I had the time to do it until I had some friends while I was abroad encourage me to do it and even then I found it difficult because I realized I was more of like a visual medium person and I wanted to take photos and utilize that as a way of expressing myself but I think it's important to see like even someone who was then like recreating a dish even if they didn't write about it like you are that could be a way of them processing that experience and being able to transport them back to a place like you said before if you're experiencing reverse culture shock for example so I'm liking hearing these different additions to ways we can kind of process all of our travel experiences even within the United States like we've said before. I think we've gotten a sense from you Yosefa about how travel has impacted your exploration of spices and food as well as writing. Have there been impact and if so what are they that cooking and writing have had on your travel experiences? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because when I worked for the high school for three years, I did no cooking. So um, we lived, depending on the country, we often lived in Thailand and in India, we were at boarding school. So I lived at a boarding school. I cooked no food. I went to the dining hall and was served food. Um, But it was all like local cuisine. 
if I, you know, for like five months in India and I didn't do any cooking, but I was still kind of collecting spices and eating just the local food. I feel like, you know, if I had been living in an apartment by myself for five months in India, I probably at times would have ended up cooking American food or Middle Eastern food or something. So, you know, when I came home, I finally, every time I came back to California, like for summer break or whatever, I would like drop off my spices Um, and couldn't, couldn't wait until, you know, I could finally be in a, in a place where I could cook. But before I went, you know, before I got that traveling job, uh, I did collect spices and travel um, and always had dinner parties. So I would have dinner parties of, okay, I'm going to make, like, I would tell everyone what the, like, I'm making Thai food. And then I would make the main dish and then maybe like a couple sides and people would like bring other things. And so they would come and I would maybe share stories or maybe not about my time there. So that was like an opportunity to cook and just experience the culture and reminisce. I don't know, they kind of go hand in hand. Not that like cooking impacted or guided my travel experiences because really it's like I cook when I get home. Although I did do some, I still do like if I have time, I'll do like one cooking class when I'm in because I like to see the different local things that they're using or going to a market and picking food is really cool. When I lived in Israel, I worked in the kitchen. That was my job. I was a salad chef. So that was like directly related to cooking there. But in terms of writing, it just kind of weaved in and out. So I guess the I'm where I am today because I tried to pursue travel writing and ended up finding this amazing career of international education. So it really, I guess it really did impact. Initially, I was abroad first and then realized I wanted to be a writer. So it's gone back and forth, but it's definitely impacted and played a role kind of throughout my life. And now just still trying to kind of weave it back because I really like the writing. I enjoy writing, but what I get joy about is sharing it with other people. Just like I get joy when I'm cooking food. I love having a dinner party so I can share it with people. So it's that interaction with people that that I love the most. I don't blame you. It's always fun to get to share it. And I know we've talked about this a few times, but my personal mission is building community. So getting to share those experiences and hear from others is one that would tie right into that. And I feel like, like you said, they're woven throughout a lot of your experiences have gone back and forth and kind of shoots and ladders. Like you're here and you get there and, you know, it all makes sense now from where you're at and why you've started this blog. But I'm curious, I'm always one to not only want to hear people's backstories of how they ended up where they ended up, which you already told us, but if there's been any particularly impactful travel experience, you've talked about working in the kitchen, that being kind of the light bulb moment for you. Mm -hmm. But have there been any others, even like seeing a student that you've had, like have an eye-opening experience or something like that, that kind of really taught you a lesson or was something you might not have realized before through your travel experiences? Yeah, I know I've already spoken about my experience in Israel, but to this day, it's still the best time of my life. And I really hope that everyone has a, has some experience, whatever it is, that they can say it was the best time of my life. Because I keep thinking one day something will overshadow it, but for some reason it hasn't. Um, but that was more like personal love, the environment and meeting people from other countries and everything. But one experience that I had, so working for the high school, students were from all over the world. And I would say maybe 50% American and then the other 50% was from all over the world. So whatever, it was a big group of, uh, of students from all over. And then we would spend time in another country. And one year we did a term in one country and then we had like a two week 
trip that we went on. It was winter break, and then we went on a two-week trip, and then we went on to our next term. And that two-week trip was in Bhutan. So I knew nothing about Bhutan until I started working for the high school because we had some students who were from Bhutan. And Bhutan, for, for people who don't know, it borders like China and India, and it's a very, very small country. I think the population is 650,000 or 700,000 people. And to travel to Bhutan as someone like from the US, for example, it's actually quite expensive. So we went with the school because we had um, students who are Bhutanese and their families really wanted to show us what Bhutan was all about and for us to learn more about gross national happiness, which Bhutan is quite famous for. And so one of the students' father was the owner of a travel company and we went in on an educational visa, which made it more feasible <laughs> for the school to take all of all, the whole group. And I just feel like it was the most amazing experience because the students, the Bhutanese students, I think we had three when we went to meet their families and their, their families literally like took us and we were I mean we were in four different vans so we um, the way we learned about the country is that each van had the opportunity to kind of learn about gross national happiness through one of the pillars of GNH and so each van was like a pillar and so the students were like thinking about it so the different pillars are good governance so learning about how, you know, Bhutan is governed and there's a king and there's a monk and there's a prime minister. So it's, it's very interesting. All three kind of like lead together in some way. So good governance, sustainable socioeconomic development, cultural preservation and environmental conservation. So looking at the culture and the country and everything through those kind of pillars and being led by friends and family, essentially, of the students it was such a special experience. And it was really neat to see the, the Bhutanese students kind of be the teachers in some way, you know, along with all the other locals that we interacted with. But it was so neat to see them really show their culture to us. And it was such a culturally rich, I mean, every country I feel like is culturally rich, but in Bhutan, culture being one of these pillars for the gross national happiness. The students, when they go to school, they have to wear traditional, traditional clothes. When they go to work, they have to wear traditional clothes. Lots of traditional clothing and many, many countries, a lot of people aren't wearing the traditional clothing anymore. But in Bhutan, you see it everywhere, which is really neat. So yeah, it was just a really unique way to learn about a place and really just to see the students kind of share about their culture and the cultural pride that they had anyways was really strong, um, even when we weren't in Bhutan. But to be there, it was just so special. So that is definitely the most unique and fortunate and privileged experience that I've had and but I'm so thankful for the experience that I had. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I've always been very intrigued by that country, but also the way you explain the four cars going along with the four pillars. I'm like, that's a, that was probably intentional, but also unintentional just based on the amount of students you had. But it also sounds like a brilliantly planned short-term study abroad program yeah. that's focused on those topics. And so it's kind of ironic that it happened to be the happenstance that you guys were within, but that's really cool and something I would definitely think that that was a great travel story and want to do something like that myself so yeah. that's that's really unique as well to have your, your students perspective and then continue to be able to talk to them after the experience mm -hmm. as questions come up because you're still connected to them and their families while they were still students on your program that's pretty unique it makes me think about you know past times learning from uh, from other people who are from a country showing you around so what is something you are grateful for living now in the 21st century 
or something you are nostalgic for in the past? Yeah, something I think I'm grateful for. So I mentioned earlier that I have family in Australia. Growing up, I have the aunt, uncle, and cousins. And so my sister and I are twins, and our cousins are actually also twins. And they're only a year younger than we are. So growing up, even though we were so far apart, parents did a great job trying to keep us close by sending VHS videotape, home videos, (laughs) <laughs> you know, we'd record and send it to them and they would get it however many months later because female takes forever or took, I don't even know if female exists anymore. But, and so that like really today we're still very close and we think it's because of that. Um, but over the years, it's been interesting to see now it's like we can text each other. But my sister had a baby recently and my cousin in Australia had a baby also happened to be born on the same day. <laughs> which is the coolest thing ever. (laughs) My sister has another daughter. And it's just so cool to see that like they're able to meet each other virtually, like instantly. And I, you know, as a child in the 80s, which isn't that long ago, but like to think that this would be possible, like the FaceTiming, it just blows my mind. As a kid, I think we would always joke, one day we'll be able to like snap our fingers and be able to transport to another place. That hasn't happened yet. I would love to see that. But I am like very grateful for where we're at now with technology and really being able to bring together people from far distances and different time zones and everything and being able to connect is really special. So, so grateful for technology. Um, And not just saying that because I work in the computer science department at Stanford. (laughs) And, you know, technology does, is getting better exponentially, right? So maybe, maybe it'll be the next generation when we will actually be able to teleport. Who knows? (laughs) We got to think of the positive thoughts lately. So that's my positive thought is, you know what, one day I'll be able to transport myself for that dinner, that Israeli food or, or that, you know, Greek food or whatever it is that I want. And yeah. then I'll be able to transport home and not pay for any of it. Wouldn't that be a perk? That would be. <laughs> Talk about accessible travel. Yeah, exactly. If it is in the, the realm that we imagine it. Yosefa, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation and, and such a nice flavor, I think, to add to our show. Pun intended. I'm sorry, yep. everyone. <laughs> Please welcome here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, It's great to have you on. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope that the stories you heard today have inspired you and helped you to think about what intercultural experiences you'll seek next. Catch another story next Monday. We are Generation Travel Radio. Keep thinking globally. Globally.